You are listening to the Landmark Sermon Series, a sermon podcast nearly 40 years in the making. You'll hear the voices of our church's founding pastors, Dr. James Reeves and Alan McBrayer, as well as others who helped pave the way for City on a Hill beginning all the way back in the early 1980s. Our hope is that these sermons bless you and challenge you in the same way they have blessed and challenged so many others in the past. For more information about our church, visit www.cityonahilldfw.com. water up there to look official but uh actually after you've done this much singing and teaching and talking and singing and all that stuff during the morning you hardly can even talk but uh i'm a little bit like james in that respect but probably won't keep me from saying what god's put on my heart so i'm gonna try to go ahead and do that but uh it does make you appreciate uh james a little bit if, if you got a chance to do what i've done this morning you'd appreciate your pastor a whole lot more i'll say that but uh I appreciate Debbie Brown leading the choir this morning, and uh, Doug and Debbie are such a blessing to our church. I had the opportunity to get to know Doug during preteen camp, and I even enjoyed Doug, too. So, uh, But uh, we had a great choir rehearsal last week, and if you're not a member of choir, I'd encourage you to be a part of it. Uh, Debbie said something last week, uh, having been a choir member, but then getting to lead the choir, that was so true. When you're in choir, you get to learn those words so much better, and they become a part of your life. And if you enjoy praising God, you need to be in choir. It doesn't matter how well you sing because uh, any of us can be in choir no matter how well you sing. But it's just an opportunity to be able to praise God maybe in a little bit deeper way, a little bit more sincere way. There's a lot of things in the Christian life that should set us apart from the way the world does things. For example, the way we approach the stresses of life should be completely different from the way the world approaches those stresses rather than those difficulties that we encounter crushing us and defeating us. Instead, Christians should be able to endure those things, not just finding joy after they're over, but even finding the peace and joy of the Lord while we're going through those difficulties of life as the Word of God ministers to you and His Holy Spirit encourages you and and lifts you up. Another area that we should act differently in is in our attitude toward death. The Christian doesn't see death as the end, as the world often sees death. But the Christian sees death as an entrance to life at its fullest. When we will have this sinful body and the sin that's in our lives behind us, and we will be able to enter into the very presence of God in its direct expression. What a time of joy that will be, although the world doesn't see that. That's the way the Christian viewpoint is about death. But there's possibly no other area that a Christian should act differently in and approach differently than our viewpoint on money. To the world, money is seen as its own possession. To the world, its money is a a vehicle, it's an instrument to be, be able to get happiness out of life. It's a way to provide security for this life. It is seen as something to be used selfishly to pursue your own desires and motivations. But for the Christian, God wants us to view our money in a totally different way from that. He wants us to see the money that we have as a sacred trust from Him, as a way to bring Him glory as we spend our money according to His desires instead of our own. And I believe today that we need to look at our view of money because so much of the time, even though the world looks at money different than the Christian should look at it, the Christian views money 
in much the same way as the world. I saw a couple of cartoons this week that illustrated to me how far off Christians can be in their understanding of how God views money. One of them was, was one that I'm sure came out of some religious magazine because you never see a cartoon entitled Brother Blotz on the comment pages. But, uh, but Brother Blotz is standing there behind the pulpit at a funeral with the dearly departed there in front of him. And he makes this statement. He says, The final request of Brother Smelt for his, before his death was that an offering be taken at his funeral since he was behind on his pledge. Now, you know, that's not a bad idea. I, I thought we might be able to implement that. But, uh, you know, that's not really the way God views our money. That's seeing money as somehow a duty that we have before God. And if we're behind on our pledge, hey, it's just another bill that we got to pay. I saw a Dennis the Menace cartoon this week where Dennis and his dad are walking out the church up the aisle. And, and it's a traditional church where the pastor stands at the back door and shakes everybody's hand when they go out. And they got to tell him how much they like the sermon, whether they did or not. And uh, he's standing there shaking everybody's hand, and Dennis and his dad get there. And Dennis looks up at him and embarrasses his dad big time. And he looks up at him and he says, just what are you going to do with that quarter dad gave when the plate passed? You know, and that's the way it seems like we view money so much of the time in church. We see money as something we have to do, as an obligation, as a duty. Almost as if money in the church, that giving in the church is like membership dues that you pay your dues so that you can enjoy the privileges and the benefits of membership. And the less you have to pay but still get the benefits, the better the deal is. You know, we're always looking for that place where we can get the most benefits for the least amount of money. And that's the way we tend to look at it so much of the time, even as Christians. But, you know, the Bible tells us that God views money in a, in a different way. It is so much more than a duty or an obligation. It is something that God wants us to do rather than something that we have to do. It's a very real temptation for preachers and pastors to get up and on a Sunday morning to have been in the secretary's office the week before and have her tell you that you got $400 in the bank or $700 in the bank or maybe that you're overdrawn and to get up on a Sunday morning and say, people, we need to give because we're out of money or to look at where we are in our budget and to see on that, that little sheet of vital signs that we're $3,000 or $5,000 or $7,000 or in a big church $100,000 behind on the budget and say, we need to be giving. But I want to say to you, God never approaches money that way in the Scripture. God is never concerned with the amount that you give. God is concerned with the attitude with which you give it. It's really not to God what you're giving, it's why you're giving it. It's not how much, but how that you give your money. And today, I want us to look at that, that subject that we hate to talk about, that subject of money, but I want us to look at it from a different perspective, with, with a different viewpoint. I want us to look at it from the aspect of giving in grace. I heard a story this week, read a story this week, that tells us what giving in grace is really like. It's a story out of one of Chuck Swindoll's books. And uh, it tells us about this missionary that was on the other side of the world. And uh, she was there on the second floor of her hotel where she stayed. And she was sitting there in her window seat. And she received some mail from home. And uh, she got the letter. She opened it up. And when she opened it up, a crisp 
new $10 bill fell out there on the floor and she picked it up and, and she was very thankful for it. And as she began to read the letter from home, she noticed that down there on the street was a bum, a real shabbily dressed guy, just dirty and really looked penniless and leaning up against the lamppost there. She tried to read the letter from home, but she kept thinking about that man down there. She kept getting distracted. And so finally, she just had to do something about it. She took out an, an envelope and wrote on the envelope, don't despair. And she put the $10 bill in the envelope and she sealed it and she dropped it to the man down below. He picked it up and opened it up and saw what it was, read the outside of it, don't despair. And he looked up at her and he thanked her, tipped his hat, smiled at her and went on his way. The next day, there was a knock at her door. She opened the door, and there was that guy, and he handed her a roll of bills. And she said, what in the world is this for? He said, lady, he said, this is the 60 bucks that you won at the races yesterday. Don't despair, paid five to one odds, and he won in the fifth race. Bang, and he floored. Well, the bomb knew a good opportunity when he saw it. He took it, and he wanted to multiply his money. But at least he had it in his heart to come back and give her the winnings of $60 on a $10 bet. But, you know, that's really a humorous picture of the way giving in grace really is. We give, as that missionary lady did, out of the goodness of our heart. We see someone in need, and we give. And then God replenishes the supply that we give. While he may not restore to us five to one, oftentimes it's much more than that. And I want us to think this morning of what it means to give, not grudgingly, not out of duty, not because we have to, but giving in grace. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 8, and we're going to read the first 12 verses. Here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul delivers for us what one person has called a complete philosophy of Christian giving. And it's interesting because Paul doesn't approach it the way we normally hear giving approached in the church. 2 Corinthians 8 1 through 12. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints, and this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Consequently, we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning so that he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith in utterance in knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And I give you my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now finish doing it also, that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may also be the completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present... It is acceptable according to what a man has, not according to what he does not have. We see here in these chapters, Paul preparing these Corinthian believers to not begin 
the gracious work of collecting for these Christians in Jerusalem who were in dire poverty and in dire need, but to go ahead and finish up the offering that they had started over a year ago. And he tells them that Titus, his helper, is ready to come there and take up that collection, but he wants them to be ready. He doesn't want Titus to get there and then suddenly find that they haven't taken up the money and then they are embarrassed and then the apostles are embarrassed. Paul's embarrassed because he's been bragging on these guys about what great givers they are and then suddenly find out that there's no money at all to be given to these Christians that are in Jerusalem. And so in doing this, Paul gives us a complete understanding and teaches us how God would have us approach the idea of giving and of our money as we give it to the Lord. And this is a much-needed message. This is a much-needed message in our day because there are so many abuses of Christian fundraisers and there's so much use of guilt in our giving, not only in the church, but through the television, through every charitable organization, that if you really care, you'll give. And Paul corrected that abuse, corrected that abuse here in this passage. There were many abuses of it in his day as well. There were a lot of professionals out there just hanging out their shingle, preaching for money. Paul talked about it in other places. And Paul did not want to be viewed as a guy that was just a professional money raiser, a professional fundraiser. It's interesting that in these two chapters, which really comprise most of what Paul has to say about giving, there's over 20 references to giving, but not once does Paul use the word money. Money is not the issue, but the emphasis in these chapters is on attitude. And the message is this that I want us to think about today, that when we give in grace that God calls us to give as a response to his grace alone, the message for us in giving is that God calls us to give in response to his grace alone and for no other reason. Look with me then, first of all, in the first four verses at the picture of grace giving that Paul provides for us. It's a picture that tells us about the Macedonians. Now, we're not real familiar with who the Macedonians were, but if you were to look on a little map there in the back of your Bible, you'd see that the area of Macedonia was to the north of Corinth. Corinth was in Greece. And just there to the north of Greece, there was this area of Macedonia. The Macedonian churches included some famous churches, such as the church at Philippi, to whom the letter of Philippians was written. There was the church in Berea that Paul evangelized on his first missionary journey. There was the church in Thessalonica that the letter to the Thessalon letters to the Thessalonians are written. And we see that this was a, an area that had had a lot of work, a lot of cultivation. And Paul says that in these Macedonian churches in verse 1, that the grace of God had been given in to them. And I want you to notice that. They are a picture or a model of what it means to be a grace giver, a giver in grace and out of grace. The grace of God had been given in these Macedonian churches, and that was the reason they were such a tremendous example of giving, a model not only for the church of that day, but even for the church throughout the ages. So look at the type of giving that they gave with. First of all, their giving was a sacrificial giving. As you look there at the description of these, of these Macedonian believers, it, it's not a real uh, successful description for, in the world's eyes. It says that they had great affliction. It says they had deep poverty. And then it goes on to say that sacrificially they gave, not up to their ability, but this Macedonian church in grace gave beyond their ability. 
And truly, this Macedonian church had its problems. It was in deep poverty. The word for deep there means to the depths. They were in such poverty that it was as if they felt the poverty to their bones. Sure, I'm sure that we think sometimes we feel it that deeply. But probably not many of us in this room have felt poverty like they felt. They had gone through the conquest of Rome, and Rome had ravaged the countryside. It stripped all the land bare where their crops would not grow very well. And then, after that, they had endured three different civil wars. And having seen the, the pictures on the TV during the war over in the Middle East, we know what the war does to, to families in terms of poverty. It takes all the money. These people were really hurting, and that's why it says they were in a great ordeal of affliction. The word affliction there really means pressure. They were under intense pressure. And I think we all know what financial pressure does to us. But coupled with the financial pressure that they had, they also had the pressure of religious persecution. But you know the neat thing? That when they had this intense pressure, rather than stopping their giving, what they did was they gave more. Rather than just giving up to their ability, which wouldn't have been very much, it says they gave beyond their ability. That their deep poverty and their abundant joy overflowed to the wealth of their liberality or their generosity. And so they became a, an example of what it means to be sacrificial givers and show us what it means to be giving in grace. It means it is a sacrificial gift. C.S. Lewis talked about giving beyond our ability in mere Christianity and telling us how to really live like Christians. And he said it like this. He said the only safe rule in giving is to give more than one can spare. In other words... If our expenditures on comforts, luxuries, and amusements, etc., are up to the standard common amount with those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. There ought to be things we should like to do but cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. He said the only safe rule is to give more than you can spare, to give not up to your comfort level, but to give beyond your comfort level. And that is what these Macedonian believers did. And you know, that's a significant thing. When you think about how we are in our giving, we get a little bit of pressure, and our tendency is to shut down completely. A little bit of pressure, and we're not going to give until the crisis is past us. And they had pressure even more than financial, and they continued to give. Indeed, it made them give even more than they had been giving what we find when we give beyond our ability, even when the pressure is on, we find that God gives even more to us, sometimes five to one, sometimes even more than that. And he blesses us in ways that we can't even understand. And so sacrificial giving really starts off out of a love for the Lord, but it is really faith giving and it expresses itself in a sacrificial measure because of the grace of the Lord. So these Macedonian believers showed us a picture of giving in grace by their sacrifice, by their sacrificial giving. And then we see also that they were grace givers because of the sincerity of their giving. We see here in verse 2 that they gave willingly in an abundance of joy. Now it's hard for me to understand how they could be so joyful. And that is the reason why we have to say that this was giving in grace. Because when I think about what they were going through, if I were going through the same thing, instead of me being joyful about it, you know, I'd just have to pretty much be miserable until I got that problem behind me. But this was not the way they were at all. 
they had come to understand that joy doesn't come after the deliverance, but joy comes when you are in the midst of the problem if it's from the Lord. True joy comes when God ministers to your spirit while you're going through the difficulty that you're facing. It is that inner work of God to give you that feeling of exultation that wells up inside of you when you think about the fact that you are right with God in spite of the outward circumstances, when you think that your future is in the hands of a loving Heavenly Father, when you know that you truly have security, then that feeling of joy wells up inside of you. You may not even laugh on the outside, but it's, a, it's kind of an overflowing kind of thing that God does as an inner work in your heart. And that's how we are able to give in grace. They gave out of abundant joy. We think so much about how we are when things go wrong. I tend to moan and groan and gripe and complain and say, you know, God, why did you treat me like this? You know, God, I deserve better than this. I mean, you owe me one here because I shouldn't really be treated this way at all, God. Don't I deserve better than this? And God comes back and he says, no, actually, I'm the one that you owe because I've given you everything. When we really appreciate God's grace, then we will be able to give in joy. So much of the time, the church, I think, is slack in giving, not because of forgetfulness. You know, people come up to us and say, you know, James or Alan, you need to preach on giving more because our tithes and offerings are behind. We need to do that more. You know, I don't think forgetfulness is the reason. I think we know that, that we should be giving if we're going to be honest about it. We tend to blame it on the economy. Well, you know, people are out of work. Or, you know, I can't give because I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. There's the fear of the future. I'm going to lose my job. So i got to save up that money. And really what it is, though, it's a lack of appreciation of God's grace. Somehow, some way, human nature tells us that we deserve something from God. But when the truth really is that God has already given us everything, 1 Corinthians 4 tells us, Paul said to those Corinthian believers earlier, what do you have that you did not receive? We've received everything from God. And so we need to understand not that God owes us anything, but that we owe our very lives to God. And rather than getting what we deserve because of our sin, we get what we don't deserve, which is God's grace and God's love, and that abundant and overflowing so these, Corinthian believe, these Macedonian believers are a picture of grace givers because they gave not only sacrificially, but they gave sincerely. They gave because of their abundant joy. They were truly happy with God's work in their life. I want to ask you that question today. Are you truly happy with God's work in your life? If you're not truly happy with God's work in your life, you're not going to be a grace giver. Oh, you may put money in the offering plate. You may even give it in Sunday school. You know, you may give your 10% that you really believe God wants you to give. But you're not giving in grace if you're not giving out of abundant joy. God calls us to give, not the amount so much as with the right attitude, to give in grace with abundant joy. And they gave sincerely also, though, because they gave of their own accord. The, the word in verse 3 literally means that they were self-motivated. They didn't have to be pushed by some preacher or pastor or some apostle to be given. Paul makes that clear. He says, I'm not going to command you to do this. I'm going to exhort you. I'm going to encourage you to do this. And truly, these Macedonian believers were a picture of those who gave of their own accord. They gave because they wanted to give. Paul didn't enjoy being a, a pressure kind of guy to push them. And I would say this, that neither James nor myself enjoy the same thing. 
God, when he works his work of grace in your heart, will lead you to give because of your own reasons, because you love God. And for that reason, here at Cornerstone, we're never going to pressure you into giving. I don't get an opportunity to preach very much. James does know, though, how to manipulate you into giving. They don't teach you courses at, at the seminary on that, but you can learn how to do that. You see many examples of these professional fundraisers all the time. But see, that is not what would honor and glorify God. God is not honored by the amount that you give. God is honored by the attitude with which you give it. He's not honored when you give because I ask you to give or push you to give. God is honored when you give because you want to give out of your love for him and out of your joy. And so grace givers are those like the Macedonians who give sacrificially and who give sincerely. And then thirdly, they give single-mindedly. The word for single-minded is actually translated in verse 2 as liberality. And that's a good translation because it conveys with it the idea of generosity. But actually, generosity and liberality are something that come from being single-minded. What we are really told that the Macedonian believers were in their giving was single-minded givers in contrast to being double-minded givers. Now, let me explain that to you because it kind of sounds like double talk. What that means is this, is that when they gave, they had no hidden agenda. They had no ulterior motive. When they gave, they gave for one reason. That was to show their love to God. Jesus talked about this single-mindedness in Matthew 6 when he said, if the eye be single, then you're serving the Lord. But if your eye is not single, but if it's double, if you have two visions, one for God and one for money, then you're not serving the Lord at all. And Jesus made this single-mindedness an issue of who your Lord really is. Is it God or is it money? And I would say this, that when you give your money with some hidden agenda or ulterior motive for some other reason than your love that you have for God, then God is not honored. That is not grace giving. That is not the kind of giving that God desires. Now, you may ask this question, what other kind of hidden agenda could I have? I mean, after all, I give the money and it's for the work of the Lord. What's wrong with that? Well, let me give you some examples. Some people, like Dennis the Menace's dad, give their money for the sake of a parent's. I mean, that offering plate passes, and they don't want to look silly by not putting something in there. And so they begin, they take out something. That first thing they can find, which is a quarter, you know, might be a dollar bill, but they put it in the offering plate. I believe this is the reason why the, the church today gives 2.5% of its income to the work of the Lord. When you figure what that really is, it makes a lot of sense. We've got that, what that really is on about a $30,000 a year income, on a per capita basis, we're giving about 2.5%. I think the reason for that is not because we've worked out in our mind how much we're going to give, but I think because it's just pretty convenient to pull out a $5 bill or a $10 bill or a $20 bill. That's pretty convenient. And if you get it up to 20 you really most of the time feel pretty good about that. But you see, that is not what God desires. God doesn't want giving from the standpoint of convenience for the sake of appearance. God wants giving because you love Him. Another hidden motive that we have sometimes is because it's a sense of duty. As I said at the beginning, if we're a member of this club, we ought to pay our membership dues. It doesn't make sense for us not to contribute when we're getting something out of it. And I'd say probably most of us get something out of it. So we pull a little bit of money out there. Now, sometimes we might not even drop it in the offering plate because we don't want people to be looking at us and thinking about whether we're giving a lot or a little. We want our left hand to be hidden from our right hand and all that kind of stuff. But we still basically do it with that idea that we're giving out of duty. Now, I'm talking to some of us here who are really mature Christians. We give out of duty. God wants us to give as an act of worship, 
as an act of love for him. Examine why you give. Some people give out of a sense of superstition. In other words, it kind of goes like this, that, you know, I don't want God to be mad at me and send some plague on my tent. So I'm going to put some money in the offering plate because, you know, I know God could just wipe me out if, if, you know, he's got the power to do that. And so if I don't keep him happy, then God's really going to wipe me out. Or, well, maybe if I give a little bit this week or if I give a little more this week, maybe God will really bless me next week and I can really do something with that money then. You know, maybe I can, you know, I've heard people do this before they take the money and they go to the races with it and say they're going to tithe off the proceeds, you know. I would hope that that wouldn't be our approach, that we're giving to God because we want God to bless us. Now, the Bible promises that God will bless us, and he will bless us abundantly, but that should never be the motivation for which we give. We should be giving out of love for the Lord. The Bible tells us very clearly, Acts 8, Peter was one of those apostles, those first apostles that was going through an evangelistic work. And one of the guys that were, were converted under his ministry was Simon the Magician. And he had a real good thing going. Then he got converted and suddenly he didn't have any income because he couldn't do this black magic anymore. And so this light bulb went off in his mind. He said, you know, Peter, by the, by the Holy Spirit, is able to do all these tremendous miracles, so maybe I can do some white magic. And so he went up to Peter and he said, listen, you know, how much do I have to pay to get this gift of the Holy Spirit? so that I could do these great miracles too, because after all, I'm out of work. I need, I need something. And, you know, Peter, he, he got pretty upset about that. He said, your money perish with you. He said, to think that you could obtain the gift of God with money. You cannot buy the gift of God. Isaiah the prophet in chapter 55 said, come and buy eternal life without money and without cost. God's gift to us is eternal life. We can't buy it with money. Neither can we buy the blessings of God. To be sure, God will bless us when we give, but we can't buy those blessings, buy the money that we give. To give in grace, we must give single-mindedly. We must not give so that we might receive prosperity, so that we could overcome guilt over some sin that we've committed. We shouldn't give so that we can excuse some sin that we want to continue in. We shouldn't give as a substitute for some other service that God wants us to be a part of. Giving should be single-minded simply as an act of worship to express our love to God. So we see quite a picture of grace giving that these Macedonians presented for us. They showed us that grace giving is a sacrificial kind of giving. It is giving beyond your ability. It is also a sincere giving. It is not giving because of external pressure. It is giving because you want to give, and it is a single-minded giving with no ulterior motives. But we also see the priority, not only the picture of grace giving that they presented for us, but we also see the priority of grace giving. And this probably is the most important part of this whole passage and of this whole message. It tells us in verse 5 that these Macedonian believers surprised Paul and the apostles and his little band, his traveling band with something. It says, not as we expected, they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. The priority of grace giving is not the amount of money that you give. The priority of grace giving is that you give your very life first. That is what God desires that we give first. And until we give our money only as a symbol of our total dedication to God, He's not pleased with the money that we give Him. But how do you find that out? It's one of those things that's pretty hard to look at. But I think the way you find that out is by looking at how you spend all of your money. As one person has said, a budget really is a theological document. 
Your personal budget is a theological document. It tells you who or what you worship. How do you spend not just the 10%? How do you spend all of your money? If you were to write it down and look at it, how are you doing all that? Do you spend all of your money in recognition that God is the owner of every bit of it? Do you spend all of it in recognition that God has given you all of it and he desires that you spend it according to his wishes and his desires? That's what it means to give ourselves first. And then when we do that, we find that the money flows freely. But when we're struggling with giving money, and I want, to, I want you to hear this. When you're struggling in your attitude about giving money, not to the church, but to the Lord, what you're struggling with is your total dedication to God. It's not the money that's the problem. It's you. It's me that's the problem. I find that when I have a hard time writing out that check, that usually it means that I'm taking responsibility for my own life. I'm not putting my life in the hands of the God who loves me. And I'm thinking that the direction of my life is up to me. Instead, I should be recognizing when I give that money to God, that it's God's blessing to me of everything that I have, of all that I am. And then I'm able to give not only to God my money, but I give to God my time, I give to God my energy, and all of my possessions. What if God said to you today, I want you to give your car to this brother in need? That'd be pretty hard, wouldn't it? But you know, we say, well, I can give $100 or I can give $50, but God owns it all. There may be anything that you've got that I've got that God may want you to give to someone else. That's a pretty big step of faith, and that's pretty weird-sounding stuff, I know. But uh, God may want you to do that, and when you do that, it's such a tremendous blessing. And that's what it means to give in grace. It means to give yourself first and then to give of your finances as a symbol of what God has done in your life. So we see the picture of grace giving, that it is sacrificial, that it is sincere, and that it is single-minded. And then we see the priority of grace giving, that we give all of ourselves first, and then we give the money as these Macedonian believers give, gave. But I also want us to notice the purpose of grace giving. Again, I'd say that so many times we never think about why we give. If we think about why we give, here's what we think. We think, well, you know, the church has got a real need. We're behind on our budget, or we're about out of money. And so I need to give something because of that. Or sometimes we just don't think about it at all. It's much easier just to set that amount in your mind that you're going to give every week, not even to reflect on the blessings of God for the week, and just to give it out of habit. But you know, that's not the purpose or the reason that God wants us to give. He's got several things that he wants to do in your life that he leads us and that's the reason that he leads us to give. In the first place, he wants us to give because it completes our spiritual maturity. Really, as I thought about this message this week, and I saw verse 7, I had really never been struck by this thought. Much of what I said I've been struck by before, and I need to be struck again by it. But uh, in verse 7, I'd never thought about this. He says this, that just as you abound in everything, faith, utterance, knowledge, earnestness, and love, see that you abound in this gracious work as well. Now, that blew my mind when I really thought about it because I, I thought to myself, well, you know, I see how important love is. I see how important faith is. I see how important it is to share the Word with other people and to have a knowledge of the Word of God. And, and I see how important it is to be enthusiastic or in, in extreme earnest about my Christian life. But to put giving in that same group of, of six, how could giving be that important? But God, through the Apostle Paul, put giving 
And the same group of Christian graces or disciplines as, as all these other five that we've looked at are, that are so important. Things that if I said to you how important those things were, you'd never argue with me about it. But as Christians, so much of the time, we approach giving as something optional, as something that is really a luxury in the Christian life for those who have really uh, kind of become fanatical about their Christian walk. That they give all this money. Well, I mean, couldn't you use that on something better? Kind of like, you know, Judas said, you know, all this money could have been spent on the poor. But that is not what giving is approached as in the Scripture. Giving is approached as a work of God's grace in your heart to complete your spiritual maturity. And I want to say, on the authority of God's Word, that if you're not giving in grace, then you are not a mature Christian. Point blank. If you're not giving this way, you're not a mature Christian. You may have all those other things going for you, but that is an area of your Christian walk that God wants to mature you in. Now, I think that's the most important reason why we give uh, in, in, from a personal standpoint, because I want to be a mature Christian. I don't want to be just a halfway Christian. And that's the reason that God has called us to give, to complete our spiritual maturity. But Paul said something else there, though. He also, uh, excuse me, broke my train of concentration. Um, he also said that we should give in sincerity to prove the sincerity of our love. As you notice what he says there, he said, I've been doing a lot of talking about you. But I want to pr you to prove the sincerity of your love. In other words, talk is cheap. You know, a year ago, you started this collection, and you said you were going to do it, and now you need to go ahead and do it. You need to prove the sincerity of your love. And so much of the time, it's so easy to say that we love God, but it's so hard to do it, to pull it out of our billfold and really give it to the Lord. Apostle John said it like this in 1 John 3, he said, if you have the world's goods, behold your brother in need, and then close your heart against him, how can you say the love of God dwells in you? He said, don't, don't uh, act in words or in tongue, but act in deeds or in truth. You see, we are to go ahead and do what we say. We say we love, and our relationship with God, we say we love. We need to go and express that love. We need to prove the sincerity of it. And I think then most importantly, verse 9 tells us another purpose for our giving in grace, and that is this. It is that we might be able to follow the example of Jesus. When you look at what Jesus did, it says that for our sakes, he who was rich became poor that we might become rich. Now, Jesus had nothing at all to gain by becoming poor in our behalf. As a matter of fact, he had everything to lose. Jesus had it all, literally had it all. He had the glory of God in heaven, he had the ability to exercise all his rights of being God. And yet it says that Jesus gave up all those rights to come to earth, to let the Father tell him what to do and when to do it, and then to humble himself and, and become a servant of men and even to die a death on the cross. He became as poor as you could possibly get. They even took his last garment and divided it up among themselves. He had nothing when he, when he left this earth, when he, when he died on the cross. But yet, because he made that sacrifice for us, we became rich, and we now have the gift of eternal life. And I believe that's what God would say to us today about giving in grace, not only to complete our spiritual maturity and to prove the sincerity of our love, but also to allow us to follow the example of Jesus, who was rich and became poor, that we might become rich. And so we are to give for that reason. But the message would not be complete without the final point, and it's this. We may have it all right, but if we don't do what he exhorted those believers to do in Corinth, we've missed the point, and it's this, and that is the performance of grace giving. In 10 through 12, he gets down to where we live. Apparently, what had happened in this Corinthian church is they decided they were going to give, 
And yet, when they made their pledge, they didn't quite have the ability to live up to their pledge. Maybe they lost a job. Maybe they uh, got transferred. Maybe something happened. We don't know what happened. Great, great pressure got on the Corinthians too, I'm sure. But here's what happened. They quit giving. And so they decided, well, I'm going to wait till I get my nest egg built back up so that I can meet my pledge, so that I can meet the thing that I said I was going to do, and then I'll give. And here's what Paul says to them. He says, listen, God looks at it like this in verse 12. If the readiness is present, then it is acceptable according to what a man has, not according to what he does not have. I think Paul would say the same thing to us today. We need to stop making excuses, maybe even good excuses. Well, I was going to give more, and I can't give that now, so I'm going to wait till I get it. No, we need to keep, quit waiting for that big commission check to come in or the bonus to come in or waiting for that insurance settlement or waiting for that key bill to get paid off before we begin to give. Paul said, if your attitude is right, you don't need to wait. Now is the time to do it because only if it is something small that you give. God can bless that in incredible ways. I read a story this week about a little girl who was, who was moved by, the, by a message on foreign missions, and in particular about a missionary to Burma. And so she took all she had. It was a penny. And she took that penny and she put it in, the, in an envelope and she sent it to that missionary in Burma. When that missionary got that penny and read the letter that went with it, he was so moved that he determined he wasn't just going to stick it in his pocket like you'd think a penny wouldn't be worth anything but he was going to really ask the Lord to show him some way that he could use that penny for the Lord's glory in the best way. And he decided through prayer that he would buy a gospel tract that could be purchased for a penny. And he took that gospel tract and he gave it to the young tribal chieftain there in, in the region, in the village in Burma that, that he was located. He didn't realize that that chieftain couldn't read though. But yet God put a burning desire in that chieftain's heart to understand what was in that tract and that chieftain traveled 250 miles just to get that gospel tract translated. And as he heard the message of the gospel, over a period of time, he was converted. And he went back to his village, and he began to tell his friends about it. And they, too, began to receive the salvation from the Lord. Soon a missionary came. He invited some missionaries to come. And it wasn't too long before that whole village of Burmese Indians were all, nearly to the very last one of them, were all converted. All because one little girl gave a small, small amount, one penny, that was all she had. And as I read that story, it reminded me of a poem that I read this week, a very short poem. But it just says this, and it's so to the point. It says this. It's called Do Something. It says, I am not everyone, but I am someone. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I ought to do. And what I ought to do, I will do by the grace of God. You know, it's not how much you give. What it comes down to is why you're giving. If you have the right attitude about giving, that you give because of the love of the Lord for you, you give in grace, then even the little bit that you give to the Lord will be blessed in incredible ways. This is not the time to talk about the promises and the blessings of God for giving, except just to make the statement that you cannot give God whatever it is you give to God with an attitude of grace and love for Him. God will bless in an immeasurable way. But God calls us today to give in response to His grace. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning recognizing that we so much of the time don't give with the right attitude, that we give just because it's a habit or just because we ought to. But Lord, we understand 
from your word that giving is more than just something we do. Giving is an act of worship. It's an expression of our love to you. And Lord, we pray right now that you would work your grace in us individually and as a church to open up our hearts. Lord, to give us, first of all, abundant joy in our Christian lives. And to, Lord, give us that inner motivation that comes from your Holy Spirit to give in the same way and in the same measure that you gave to us. Lord, we can't comprehend the gift that you gave to us to be rich in heaven and yet to become poor, completely poor for our sakes, that we might have the gift of eternal life and abundant life. But yet, Lord, we know that you did that. And, Lord, I pray this morning that the first place that we would begin in examining our hearts would be in our dedication of our very selves to you. And, Lord, that as we commit our lives to you, Lord, that you would then open up our hearts to give as you've called us to give. We pray now, Lord, for the work of your Spirit in this time of invitation. The Lord, if it is your will for someone to respond to your grace this morning, that that, that would come to pass. And Lord, that uh, that would become something that we could all know about, could all rejoice with. We just trust you now, Lord, to do what, what you have desired to do in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand.